Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone, this is Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading global social responsibility at Blackboard. I want to welcome you today to the SG Engage podcast, where we're going to talk about engaging donors of color. I'm joined today by two wonderful people, Brenda Asari, who is the president and CEO of the Alfred Group, and her colleague, Joanne Yoshimoto, who is a senior consultant with the firm. So welcome, Brenda and Joanne. Thank you, Rachel. We're happy to be here. Well, I am happy to have both of you. So for those of you out there in listening land, um, Blackboard is really honored to be a member of the Giving Institute along with the Alfred Group and um, really um, proud of all the great work that you do, Brenda, in leading that firm and working uh, as the one of our leaders in the Giving Institute. So through our relationship, I've come to learn that you have done some real thoughtful work on this topic of engaging donors of color. And we're going to dig into that today. But before we do that, Brenda, let's start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. And thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Blackbaud, for hosting us and all the great work that you do on this front relative to engaging donors of color, as well as donors in general. I would just say, you know, for I've worked in this sector for the past, I can't believe it's been nearly 30 years. And um, I really fell into it during the time back, you know, 30 years ago when I first came into the sector. I really came into the sector out of a commitment and passion due to a cause. And at that point, it was around cancer. My grandfather, whom I love dearly, I was the apple of his eye, and he certainly was the apple of my, of mine, and I could do no wrong. He passed away from cancer, and um, that was really my first foray into this sector because I really wanted to help families not go through what we went through when my grandfather was dying from cancer, and I thought that I could do more to help on the education side. Um, he died from lung cancer. So I started out working as a program manager with the American Cancer Society, and I uh, went from everywhere from um, women's groups to the Rotary to incarcerated um, prisons, um, talking about health education related to cancer. Um, After doing that for about three years, I decided that I would go back to graduate school and um, secure my MBA in marketing. Um, One of the things that I noticed about the sector is that it had more of a begging um, mentality versus looking at what are the opportunities that exist for donors to really make a difference in the lives of people, but at the same time, experience a sense of joy, because I felt like giving was a joyful opportunity, but also the sector was a business, but a business, but a a, a sector that, that comes forward with a heart But we also needed to have a business mindset if we were going to be successful in raising more dollars, um, engaging more volunteer leaders. And so that really was my foray into the sector. After I graduated from Washington University with an MBA in marketing, I decided to come back into the sector and, and really continue to help the sector build its capacity around this notion of it being a business with a heart. And that there was a value 
exchange that was in place for donors and for the nonprofit sector. And I have enjoyed um, the past 30 plus years where every day I feel I have an opportunity to build something new. It feels like a laboratory, so I never get bored. And certainly talking about this topic about engaging donors of color is one that is of uh, top of mind interest and passion of mine as I look at what's happening um, in the world. So again, just excited to be here and to share more uh, with my colleague, um, Joanne, about our work in this space um, and, and the work that the offer group is doing in concert with our colleagues within the offer group, with our clients and within the sector. Great. So Joanne, tell us a little bit about you. I shall. I'm going to say I'm already enjoying this podcast because I had never heard that particular part of Brenda's story. So that's really interesting to me. So I'm going to indulge and probably share parts of of my background that you haven't heard. I've been involved with nonprofits and in fundraising since 1977. I uh, graduated from college and had in mind my organization of choice. I had worked with them um, off and on as a volunteer during my college years. And as soon as I graduated, I ran to them. I said, okay, I've graduated. I'm ready now. <laughs> Here I am. And the um, literally the only opening that they had was in fundraising. Well, years later, I understand why. You know, there's, there's so much turnover in fundraising, and they almost apologized. They said, you know, we really want you to, you know, do program work, and you probably want that too, but this is the only opening, and I said, I'll take it. Well, guess what? I never did get around to doing program work because fundraising fit me like a glove. It just suited my personality. It suited the rebel in me because I was brought up never to talk about money and never to talk about certain other things that, you know, this organization was all about. So it, it really appealed to the rebel in me, but I was a rebel, rebel with a cause. This organization was my cause. And uh, so I've, I've just stayed with it. You know, got to know the Alfred Group over the years, primarily through AFP, their, their um, strong presence there. And I was attracted to the, to the firm for many reasons, you know, not only its excellence in the field, its leadership throughout the sector, but its commitment, its, its very prominent commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion that really tipped the scale for me. I said, you know, these are good people, and I want to surround myself with good people as I progress through this profession. So I've been with the firm for 15 years now. And it, it still feels fresh and exciting to me. So um, so it is very clear to me that I am on this podcast with two rebels who have causes. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I want to join you as a rebel who has a cause. And I believe, Brenda, I love what you said about business with a heart. You know, that's what I'm all about, that that we need everybody at the table to, to do all the good that we need in the world. We need nonprofits, we need businesses, we need governments, we need everybody. And I very much come from the business with a heart perspective. So, so it's great to be here with these rebels. And let's move to our topic. So why is engaging donors of color so important, apart from the obvious of just wanting to be more inclusive? Yeah, you know, Rachel, that's such a great question. 
And it's so interesting when we reflect on engaging donors of color, it really shouldn't be something that we approach as if this is new or as if donors are of color are new to philanthropy. When we go back and really look at the genesis of what it means to be generous, people of color have been doing that all of their lives. Now, in many, in, in many aspects, it may be more of an informal approach where you're helping family, neighbors, friends. So it, many of the giving that we initially experience from donors of color, it, it starts right in their in their families and in what's in front of them through, and many times we call it mutual aid, but you're there. Cause we just know we grew up with the sense of giving back, number one, giving back and helping our families, helping our own. Oftentimes you may hear of aunties and uncles. They may not be family members, but they're part of the family network. And so when we think about engaging donors of color, I liken it to, you know, thinking about there's the opportunity to create even more impact. Nonprofits have that opportunity. But how can you do that when you are neglecting 30 to 40 percent of a population who have the capacity, the desire, the readiness to give, but you're not asking? You're, you're not even considering them as philanthropic or philanthropist. So I, I think we have an opportunity to really expand our definition of what a philanthropist looked like and how do we consider the philanthropic endeavor. Traditionally, through the, the, the construct that we all are, have grown up under is time, talent, treasure. But one of the things that we know is for communities of color, their testimony, their ability to open doors, their advocacy, it's just as important. And I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, that additional fourth T of testimony being now considered a part of the philanthropic landscape. And I think it goes beyond just philanthropy. It's like, what does it mean to be generous? So we're really shifting our mindset on the kind of the more traditional construct of philanthropy and really focusing on generosity. Yeah, I love that. Lots of different ways people can be generous in the world, not just ones that are tied to what the IRS says are is generous. Yeah, yeah. So you all participated in an ebook that we did with the Blackfoot Institute, and in the chapter that you did, you talked about building trust with donors of color. So how do you do that? How do you build it? And conversely, how do you lose it? Joanne, why don't you take that one? I think you've had a lot of experience on that front. Well, in terms of building trust with donors, it's really no different than building trust with any other human beings, you know, any other type of interaction. What is it that you do or don't do if you want to foster trust among human beings? Okay. One is to be authentic, you know, create a relationship with another person. Don't treat them as a commodity, but treat them as a, a person. Be transparent, be consistent. You know, don't, don't, uh, oh, what I really dislike seeing in the field of fundraising is, you know, the smile that you put on when you're asking for a gift and then you turn your back and, and it's, it's over. 
You know, that's not how you create trust among diverse communities. You need to um, engage consistently, authentically. You need to find ways to connect and pursue those, those avenues. Now, on the flip side, you, you lose trust. You know, I talked about my least favorite example of just putting on the smile when you're asking for money. But, but also, I think withholding information for fear that, oh, I don't want to tell them too much. You know, you come across as being secretive or un- unworthy of, of trust. For example, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And if you make a little mistake that people are aware of, there is no harm in owning that and saying, you know, I misspoke there. I really, I, I really should have put this number out there rather than the one that I used. Well, that's another way of turning a misstep into an opportunity to build trust because you are being authentic. You are, you know, looking for forgiveness. You are being transparent. The yeah, you're, other, you're being human. Yeah, for sure. Point, yeah, we all are human, you know, <laughs> Let's welcome each other to the club. The other um, point I wanted to make is that, you know, it's not that it's not as if there's one specific way to approach this community versus another community versus another community. So don't use what we call a cookie cutter approach, a one one size fits all. You know, one community may enjoy one type of social gathering to become introduced to your organization. Another uh, group may may like approaches on a more individualized basis. So, you know, there is not um, one size fits all. I just want to stress that point. Yeah, you know, Joanne, that's a really great point. Oftentimes, when I've worked with organizations who are trying to crack the code of engaging donors of color, they tend to think there's one there's one way that's going to serve all, and it doesn't it doesn't work that way. I think one of the things I would say in terms of building trust is really increasing what we call your cultural competency. Is really kind of understanding different donors, understand what are the things that they're listening to, what are they reading, what are the organizations that they belong to, the professional organizations as well as the social ones. I just recently, um, along with, you know, the offer group just recently completed a study um, for a client where, who really wanted to understand how to be more effective at engaging donors of color. And so they engaged us to conduct interviews. And one of the key takeaways for me, and I knew this, is don't negate the importance of a peer. Because when we ask these donors, oftentimes, how did you become introduced to the organization, it was typically through a friend. The friend invited me. I came. I I liked what I the work that they were doing. I felt was impactful. They whatever they said that they were going to do or did, they did it. They followed through on their commitments. They were a, the organization was able to elevate the impact of their work in the particular community that I felt connected to. So show your work and do and follow through, ask for their engagement. Because once you engage any individual in a process or a part of your organization, your trust level is going to increase because they have a better understanding of your organization. So understand the peer, the importance of peer-to-peer engagement, 
engage them in your work before you start asking for money. It's the same process that we use on every, that we employ when we engage any donor. It's building relationship. So this past year has been interested and complicated and difficult for so many reasons. And you mentioned, Brenda, that you've redoubled your efforts on advancing equity over this past year. And there's still people who are cynical or doubtful that any change will really stick for the long term. But have you seen anything that gives you hope for the future? I am very hopeful for the future, Rachel. We are seeing clients, our clients, really lean into understanding how to elevate diversity, equity, and inclusion um, within their organizations. And one of the things that the Alpha Group has done in response, we understand that fundraising doesn't happen in a bubble. It happens within a culture. And so one of the things that we're doing is working with our clients to really look at what is their culture of equity, right, from 10 different levers. So how are you communicating with your donor community? How are you engaging the voices of the, the, your community and, and, and the organizations um, that you partner with, the communities that you partner with? What, what are you doing relative to your staff diversification and inclusion? I am hopeful because the other thing that we're also seeing is they're asking themselves the questions of when a donor looks inside our organization, what are their takeaways? What's the impression? Do they see us as an organization that is equity forward or centered in our work? And why does that matter? So I am hopeful because I think more organizations are asking themselves these really tough questions. And I also see it bubbling up from our our team members who really are care and I and I, who really care and I would say they probably are more woke than the leadership and they're pushing they're pushing leadership to ask these hard questions and, and ask for alignment around values what does it mean to do the work that we do they're developing smarty goals so again adding the, the inclusion and equity as a part of their goal setting So I am hopeful because we're seeing it in action where many of our clients are leaning into this work and understanding that it is a journey, but awakening to the possibilities that lie ahead for their organizations by looking at their board, looking at staff, looking at engagement of donors, looking at their communications, looking at their language. Are we using strength-based or or deficit-based language when we talk about the communities that we partner with? So I'm hopeful. I see a lot of movement on this front, and I see where we're going from talking, where we're actually activating and moving into action. So, yeah, you know, I too am hopeful. There's a lot of cynicism in our world, and there always has been, and and this would be a perfect opportunity for the world to become cynical uh, even more so. But I see so many signs of hope, and I'm just going to allude to um, some reading that I'm currently doing on social movements. And the author that I'm reading uh, talks about the value of actions to take place both internally and externally. In other words, inside our sector and outside our sector. And something that really gives me hope is that our community at large is really wide awake in this moment. It took 
extraordinarily painful events to bring them to this point. But it has happened. Here we are. And and it is our opportunity to seize this moment as the insiders in this sector and do our part to push this movement forward. So I, I am so, so hopeful. So, yeah, Joanne, you just mentioned a key word, and that's action. So, you know, pictures are worth a thousand words, but a story is worth a thousand action steps. So do you have a, do either of you have any examples of an organization that's on the right track and what they're doing that's different? Yeah, the way we're sometimes asked this question is, point to one organization that's doing it right. Well, that's really risky because what if that organization makes a misstep, right? And it's just not yeah. fair to put that that spotlight on them. So rather than name an organization, I'm happy to say that I'm working with several organizations that are moving in the right direction. I think Brenda could say the same thing. And so I can talk about some of the characteristics of organizations that are uh, moving in the right direction. And again, I'm going to use my inside and outside framework. I think it starts with the inside of the organization and commitment from the top. We talk about the value of leadership, not only the um, president and CEO, but the board needs to come along, the executive leadership, and really you want to engage all staff. So there you have the entire, the entirety of the inside of that organization. And then what we like to see is identification and engagement of ambassadors who can take you beyond your organization, who can expand your networks, who can introduce you to diverse communities so that you can strengthen your position in in the larger community. And then, of course, you do the inside, you do the outside. It has to all be tied to your strategic vision, your your mission, your vision, and your values. Some organizations are rewriting their strategic plans and their mission statements based on their recommitment to equity. And that's that's a process. It's a time-consuming, difficult process, but it's so exciting. How can you not feel optimistic when organizations are putting themselves through this, this work at this time? And then... Um, Brenda alluded earlier to kind of taking an assessment of where we are right now. We call it a DEI assessment. It's not a be-all, end-all, but it just it gives you a view of where you are so that you have a starting point. You can measure yourself from where you are versus where you would like to be. Yeah, I had a, another conversation recently that was very much about the what you started with there, which is no one organization is perfect and other organizations are are just good and other organizations are bad. We're all on journeys and there are things about what each of us, you know, does. It's either good or, or, you know, on its way or maybe not even started. That doesn't make us good or bad. So Brenda, do you have anything to add there before we, um, or perhaps segue into what can organizations who haven't really started with this do to get started? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what you just alluded to was, number one, awareness, knowing that this is something important and critical to your organization. I think just waking up to the awareness that this is something that we should spend time on. And once you have that awareness, then taking it to understanding how does this impact our organization and what are the tough questions that we need to be asking ourselves as an organization. And looking at those different um, levers, you know, does our board, is our board reflective of the community? How diverse is our board? 
diverse, you know, what, what do our staff look like? How are we communicating, you know, with our donors and how are we engaging donors of color? And, and I think too, to be on a learning journey, I mean, that's one of the ways that we continue our work um, at the offer group and how we support our clients. It's looking at what is that learning journey? How do you continue to expose yourself, expose yourself not only to new information, but to new people. You know, just recently I, I indicated that the offer group was um, engaged to interview donors of color for one of our clients. And even for me, as I sat and made a list of who's in my network, I was limited. I struggled because I started thinking, who do I know Certainly, I know a lot of African-American people because I'm African-American, right? I don't know all the African-Americans, so that's the one thing I do want to dispel with everybody. Most African-Americans don't know. We don't know each other, like, just like no one knows everybody, right, in their, in their race. But I, I started thinking of who are, the, who are the, 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 pe- the people of donors of, you know, how many Hispanics do I know? How many Asians do I know? How many Indians and so on? And I felt that I couldn't go very far once I really started to think through who's in my network. So that created an opportunity for me to really think there are some networks that I need to be more intentional around activating, meeting new people. And so I'm reaching out to my friends. I may have a couple of friends, but I'm like, hey, I really want to understand and build my network. And so I'm reaching out. Oftentimes, I have a lot of people reaching in to me. Um, when someone is trying to identify, you know, donors of color or leaders of color, because again, they figure I, I I interact and I know a lot, and I do. But they 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 started with me, which is great because then I'm able to give them some places to go. But I would just say, just getting started in this work, it starts with you. It starts with you first, being on a learning journey and understanding what is your why. Why is this important to your organization? And what do you need to do as a fundraiser? What implicit biases or stereotypes do you need to deal with before you even start engaging donors of engaging donors of color and understanding kind of how they think and they think differently and that one size doesn't fit all? I think the other um, strategy to take is engaging families. Um, oftentimes we see with donors of color, it is a it's a family business, philanthropy. Thinking about how do we give back as a family? What are the opportunities, not only from a giving, but also volunteerism? So again, looking at what are those points of engagement that may not be the first ask may not be the dollar. The first ask may be for their opinions or take a look at our materials. What, what do our materials say to you? How do they speak to you? Asking for them to participate um, in a focus group for feedback, inviting them to come learn more about the work of your organization. So there are many steps that an individual or an organization can take even before you get to the ask. But it's really important to go back to building the engagement and building the relationship because we know time and relationship. There's a direct correlation with the size of gift and the level of investment. And sometimes you may get a smaller gift on that first gift, but again, oftentimes it's a test gift. So what are you going to do when you get that test gift? If it's not at the $10,000 level, if it's $2,500, are you going to steward that individual as you would any other 
individual to try to grow their engagement and their involvement with your organization, you should, because that's what we do with every donor. So you know that I believe relationships are everything. And that's kind of like a headline that you just put over yes. you know, what you talked about. So as we conclude this podcast, I want to ask you, where can our listening audience go to learn more? Is there something posted somewhere where people can get some more information? There's um, kind of a treasure trove of information. Um, I'm going to point first to AFP because they have intentionally been focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for at least 20 years. Um, that's, that's what really excited me at the first international conference I attended many back in the 90s. And in fact, they do have a, a committee that gathers resources and they do post on their website. And um, it's not just AFP.org, it's AFPnet.org in case people have a hard time finding it. I don't want to blow our own horn too much, but the Alpha Group is very intentional about this. We have a DEI task force that has been working for over a year very diligently, and we gather information. We write about the topic. We research. We uh, share. There's now uh, quite a collection of blogs and and, uh, papers and such. Um, on our website, which is alfor.com. The so, other yeah. place that I would advise um, our listeners to go um, look, to learn more would be the Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy. And that's housed at the Indiana University, University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. I know, you know, that Mays Family Institute has been doing some really terrific work around diverse donors around women and giving, around millennials. So again, it's taking a more expansive view, Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly there is a lot of great resources there at the May Family Institute, as well as on the Alpha Group um, website, where we have blogs and interviews with donors of color, as well as webinars that we've been a part of, speaking to these donors and hearing, hearing from them directly in their voices relative to how to effectively engage um, donors of color in, 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 in the work of nonprofits across the country. Yeah, those are all great resources. AFP, Blackfoot's been a longtime you know, friend, partner, sponsor, and the, the AFP initiative is called IDEA. I was very yes. involved in their, their first women's summit. Um, so IDEA is, is the AFP work, and then the Alfred Group, and then you said it was the Mays Family Foundation at IU. And the IU yeah, the Mays Foundation. Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy. And the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, for those of you listening, is the firm that we organization we work with to help make the Giving USA study possible, which is a project of the Giving Institute and the Giving USA Foundation and how we all know each other so well. Yeah. So um, I am so thrilled to have spent this time with you today. Um, thank you so much, uh, Brenda and Joanne, for your insights and helping us learn a little bit more so that we can all be more hopeful and turn that hope into action and do more good things going forward. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Rachel. And, you know, maybe on a subsequent podcast, it's always great to hear from the consultants and the researchers. And um, we would love for you to hear directly from some of these donors of color, you know, as things unfold and the world continues to kind of focus their time, tension and efforts on this front. So we'd love to do what we can to continue to bring these donor voices to the forefront as well. Well, that would be wonderful. You know how to find me. You, you bring there. We'll have a conversation. 
And to our listening audience, I want to just say thank you for joining us on this SG Engage podcast. Uh, Make sure you check out our other episodes. And that's all for now. This is Rachel Hutchison signing off.